Uh, as Jay said earlier, uh, we are starting a brand new teaching series this week called Samson. We, we spent the last four months going through the book of Romans, which I enjoyed from a, a teaching standpoint, from studying and preparing that. I know that, that Trevor and Matt, who, who joined in and, and taught through that series, enjoyed it as well, too. Now we're going to shift gears and talk a little bit about Samson, uh, a character that probably just about all of us know, even those of us who may not know the Bible real well, know the story of Samson. Because of all the people throughout the whole Bible, Samson's like the one guy who could fit on like the Avengers, you know? I mean, like he's kind of this larger-than-life, almost supernatural type of, of character. But before we jump into this real quick, guys, especially you, I'm going to show you a couple of pictures here, and I want to know uh, which of these guys you're, you're more likely to relate to. A couple of movie characters from the 90s. First is this guy, Jack Dawson from Titanic. These are two movies Two of the, the top movies from the 90s, both won Best Picture. Jack Dawson, this, this kind of suave uh, uh, character who, who uh, you know, if, if you know the scene here, he, he asked Rose to come to the front of the ship with him and close your eyes, step on, trust me, step on the rail and then open your eyes. And she's, I'm flying. Okay? And then there's this guy. Maybe you know this guy. Yeah, here, here are a few more reactions here. William Wallace, the great revolutionary leader from Braveheart. Now, guys, let's be very honest, and I do not want you to overthink this. If I were to say, do you want to be more like William Wallace or Jack Dawson, what's your initial response? William Wallace. Now, you can say, well, you know what? Here's the thing about Jack, though. He was tenderhearted, and you can, you can think this through and justify it, but just our initial reaction, we don't want to be known as the, the lover. We want to be known as the warrior, Right? That's just kind of, I mean, you think about this, that's where we gravitate, and all this does is illustrate kind of a, a, a key point here, that when it comes to movies, there's two types of movies. There's chick flicks, and there's good movies, right? <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. But here's kind of why I say that, and here's kind of why almost every guy in the room immediately go, oh, I'd be William Wallace. Because guys, our whole lives, we've wanted to be known as strong. I mean, think about it. From the time we're boys, what do we love hearing? You're so strong. You know, I got a one-year-old, and probably before long, he'll be picking something up that's big, and we'll go, oh, man, Titus, you're so strong. Show us those muscles, you know, and, and we see that. We hear that, right? You know, my parents lied to me my whole life. Oh, you're so strong, you know, and look at those muscles, and they, they lied to me, you know, it, obviously. But you think about this. We want to be known as strong to the point where there's almost this natural competition among guys, Okay, who can be the strongest? Who can, who can do the most? Now, again, ladies, we are not ignoring you over the next few weeks. Okay, this is not some chauvinistic, hey, let's be manly men and beat on our chest type of series. This isn't a, a, a series saying, men, you should dominate women. You should, this isn't anything like that, okay? This is angled towards men. But women, too, there's a lot you can get out of this as well. Because for women, you have strength as well, too. And, and there, there's sometimes there's this strength of, of, well, you know what, I shouldn't just admit that men are stronger than me, and I, that's, that's not the case here, okay? We are just simply saying, how can we look to become stronger, because that's our focus. We want to grow stronger men to be stronger leaders, stronger women to be stronger leaders. Now, I'm not talking about physical strength. You can go to Club Northwest for that, okay? We're talking about spiritual strength. We want to grow spiritually stronger um, men in this church and in our community and in our world. Because here's the thing, guys, when we become spiritually stronger, we're less likely to fall into the traps that are out there waiting for us, that Satan has laid out in front of us. 
We're, we're more likely to see those in advance and go around them or go over them or, or just miss them altogether. So two questions here for you. It's actually more of a, of a two-part question. And, and you can answer this to the person beside you. I don't necessarily just blurt out an answer here. If you're taking notes, you can jot something down. But a two-part question I want you to think about as we get into this series. The first part is this. What makes a man strong? I want you to think about that. Maybe you've got an answer. Maybe, maybe you don't. Maybe you'll think about it later today. What makes a man strong? And the follow-up, what causes a strong man to fall? I thought about this a lot this week. My answer was actually very, very close to the same thing. What makes a man strong and what causes a, a, a strong man to fall? The things that were popping in my head often were, were not too far apart. It boils down to perspective. It boils down to priority here. Here's kind of what I'm thinking about with this. What makes a man strong? Some things I think of are a work ethic, strong work ethic, somebody who is, is dedicated and devoted to working, but how can that become a pitfall? It becomes too much of a priority. You become a workaholic and you neglect your family and your friends in the process. Or, or maybe you, you say, well, he is, he's, I mean, he's got this drive and he wants to succeed at everything that he does, but in the process, he cuts other people down getting there. Or maybe you say, you know what, man, he is passionate. He, is, he loves, you know, we kind of made fun of Jack Dawson a moment ago, but he loves, he's just so passionate, his heart is overflowing, and his dedication to his people and the way he wants to build relationships, but that can swing around and lead to some bad relationships. That can cause our hearts sometimes to become a little smarter than our heads, lead us in the wrong direction. Sometimes what makes us strong can trip us. Man, this is a guy who will give you every second of his day, but he can't find five minutes to read God's word today. What makes us strong sometimes can make us fall. And to me, there's no better example of this in Scripture than Samson. Kind of what we talked about in the open there. You saw that, uh, that little bumper video, Samson, the man who, uh, you know, ripped a lion in half with his bare hands, who killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey, this, again, Avenger-like person from the Bible. Samson had this amazing God-given divine strength that it was given to him for a very distinct purpose, but Samson also lacked an inner strength. He lacked all of this. In fact, you could say it this way, Samson was a man with incredible outer strength, but very weak self-control. And that ultimately was his downfall. And we look around the world today, and you could take this quote and change the name Samson and put somebody else's name. Maybe put your own name and say this about yourself or somebody else that you know. Somebody that you've seen that was a great man who, who fell. Great outer strength, great abilities, very bad self-control. It's a person who had incredible leadership ability, incredible speaking ability, incredible business ability, but he lacked self-control. And it spiraled. So here's what I think. I think, folks, our, our, our world, as crazy, as confused, as messed up as it is, I think at our core, our world is looking for men who know how to be real men. Now, again, this is not manly men. Let's see who can, who can you know, yell the loudest kind of thing. Not men who can dominate other people. Not men who can cause others to submit to him. But men who know how to serve and love, and lead. I think that our core, that's what our world truly wants. 
And that's what we're going to see out of Samson. If you've got a Bible, turn to uh, the book of Judges. Uh, We're going to start in chapter 13 uh, with his story. And this is a little bit of a build-up sermon heading into this series. But we we get into Judges. If you're unfamiliar with Judges, it's early on in the Bible, the seventh book of the Bible. And Judges kind of picks up in an interesting spot in the history of Israel. The first uh, five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, basically tell the story of the creation of man, the creation of Israel, uh, all the way up to the point where Moses has led them out and Moses dies, okay? Then after Moses, we read the book of Joshua. Joshua takes over. He leads Israel further. They, 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 they start taking the promised land, and then Joshua dies. And by this time, Israel has grown in massive numbers, so God appoints judges to oversee uh, the different parts of it. Excuse me. And we pick this up, and we, we see kind of where Israel is going at this point. And I want you to kind of look at this chart, because this tells the story of what happens with Israel. So Israel... Basically, they're serving God, they're following Him, everything is great, they take their eyes off of God and they fall into sin, they fall into traps, and when that happens, they fall. Somebody takes them over, somebody enslaves them. In their desperation, what do they do? They cry out to God, and God delivers them, He raises up a judge, comes, that person delivers them, they start walking with God again, and then they fall again, and then it's a vicious cycle. And again, just like with that quote a minute ago, you could probably put your own name here, or it's the name of somebody else, and you see this is a similar cycle for many of us. We walk with God, everything's great, we're good, we, we trip, we fall into sin, we, we get caught. When we get caught, we cry out because we have nothing else to do. God delivers us, everything's great, it's just a vicious cycle over and over. But that's what happens in Judges, and God sends a judge, you kind of see there on the left, to deliver them, and the most famous judge we know about through this whole book is Samson. He comes to deliver uh, his, his people. And to kind of, kind of step back and look at this a little bit, I'm just going to kind of tell you a little bit about what happens in chapter 13. Because chapter 13 talks about his birth. It talks about how he came to be a little bit here. And in particular here, uh, we, we read about his parents. His dad was named Manoah. His mother uh, is not named. But Manoah and his wife are not able to have kids. And here's kind of where the story picks up in in Judges 13, verse 3. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, It is true, you are unable to conceive and have no children, but you will conceive and give birth to a son. The boy will be a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to save Israel from the power of the Philistines. So again, Samson has a very divine appointment. I mean, this story kind of looks a little familiar, right? Woman's unable to have a child. Angel of the Lord appears. Kind of makes me think back to Abraham and Sarah and and the birth of a nation, okay? But we read about this. He's got a very divine purpose from the beginning. But it said in there in verse 5, he'll be a Nazarite to God from birth. Now, if you're unfamiliar with what that is, you read back further into the Old Testament story, and you read about what a Nazarite means. And a Nazarite is kind of the more literal translation when you say somebody's holier than thou. That's actually what that means, because people are holy and set apart, and a Nazarite is set apart from those who are set apart. So they are holier than the rest of us, because God's called them to be. And in particular, in verses 4 and 5, it explains what that Nazarite vow means. You raise your child, and here are three rules. Number one, he can't drink anything. No alcohol. No, no wine. No, you know, old Israel version of beer. No margaritas. Nothing, Okay. None of this. Number two, he can't touch anything that's unclean. Okay, so that all the unclean foods, 
He can't touch anything that's dead, nothing. No unclean things. Number three, don't cut his hair. Now, you can look all through Scripture and try to figure out the significance of the hair, but it boils down to the fact of that's just simply a sign of a commitment to God. Obviously, if the amount of hair we had uh, was was an indicator of how blessed we were from God, some of us are more blessed than others. You can look around the room and see who's less blessed than the rest of us. But, you know, I, I think maybe, if we're getting really theological with it, I think maybe God wanted Samson to have a mullet. Maybe he was the first person to actually have the old Kentucky waterfall halfway down his back. I don't know, you know. Uh, maybe he had the high sideburns and the mullet, the whole picture. I don't really know, but that was the picture. He couldn't cut his hair. Those three rules to set him apart for a divine purpose from God. He was to be raised in this holy manner because he had a specific purpose, and that was to free his people from the Philistines. And here's the cool thing about this. You see how this plays out because it's very clear Samson's power comes from God. Because every time he does something that is, again, supernatural, it's, it's kind of started with this phrase. We see it in chapter 14. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. And then he did something awesome. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and then he showed off his strength. So in other words, God just showed up, blessed Samson, boom, he does something. And, and it's kind of easy to, to look at this and, and, and to wonder, how that works. And and here's kind of what I think. I think that when we picture Samson, we picture a guy like this. Now, I joked that said he could be an Avenger. That's Thor from the Avengers, okay? It's easy to picture Samson looking like this. But honestly, if you see a guy like this walking down, you kind of expect him to do something like that, right? Like if anybody on on earth is going to rip a lion in two pieces, it's probably a guy who looks like that, right? I think, just hear me out on this, I don't think Samson looked like Thor. I think Samson probably looked a little more like me. So here's what I want you to do. From now on, when you read this story, and you read about Samson and his strength, I want you to picture me, okay? Grabbing a lion and, you know, or you can picture yourself. I don't, whatever. It it doesn't matter. But let's be honest, if you saw Thor rip a man or a lion in half, or you saw me rip a lion in half, which one of you are going to go, man, God was helping him. It's obviously me, right? You know, don't let this physique fool you. So here's the thing. Samson had this great power that obviously came from God, and it's easy to go, man, I would love to have that. I would love to have that. Well, here's a little nugget. You do. You know, Jay said earlier he was going to spoil it, talking about it comes from God. Well, you have that power. Because it says there in verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. Guess what Jesus told us? Just before he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he says, this, the, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You know when that happens? When you take that step and say yes to Jesus. When you accept him, when you welcome him into your heart, then the Spirit has come into you. And you have that power. Now, granted, we're not, you know, going out and slaughtering armies with the jawbone of a donkey, okay? I haven't seen any of us do that. But what do we have the power to do? We have the power to move mountains. We have the power to heal people in the name of Jesus. We have the power to to help those who are hurting. We have the power to resist the enemy. 
And here's the problem we have, though. We have this power, but man, here's what we do. We funnel it into wrong attitudes. And ultimately, I think what brings down a strong man boils down to one of three attitudes that we all come across, we all have struggled with, we all will continue to struggle with, men and women both. And here's what they are. The first attitude is the attitude of lust, which just says, I want it. Now, we think lust, we automatically think, you know, sexual lust, but there's more than that, right? There's power. I want it. I see that and I want it. Or there's the the attitude of entitlement that says, I deserve it. Or the attitude of pride says, no matter what it is, I can handle it. And here's the thing, you look at those attitudes and those get some overlap from time to time, right? Sometimes what I want, I think I deserve. Sometimes what I I think I deserve, I think I, uh, I can handle that, you know, it's, it's, it's pride, all these kind of work around each other, but here's what we're going to do as we look at what Samson does. You're going to see all three of these attitudes show up right off the bat, because Samson, as divinely appointed as he was, as strong as he was, couldn't handle all of this. So if you've got a Bible, go to, to Judges chapter 14, we're going to jump in here and, and read his story uh, here. Because Samson, again, chapter 13 just kind of talks about his birth, talks about the, <clears throat> the initial stages of him. But chapter 14 tells him as he's uh, kind of reached adulthood and, 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 and getting ready to step into his calling. So chapter 14, verse 1, it says this, Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Remember, don't touch unclean things. Right there you go. But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She's the right one for me. So right off the bat, what do we see? I want it. Attitude of lust, right? Samson doesn't ask... What do you think I should do? It doesn't show that he prays, God, who do you want me to be with? He goes, no, I'm going to go over here to this area. Now, you know, you read on, it says God was about to make a point here, okay? But he doesn't ask anybody's opinion. He doesn't seek the counsel of God. He says, I want this, no matter what my parents say. And he goes after it. And here's kind of what's interesting is, is it's, it's a bit of a turning point here for Israel, because it says that he saw her, I want her, go get her for me. And here's kind of what's interesting, if you're kind of a, a bit of a word nerd, if, if you like to look at, at, at phraseology and scripture, up to this point in Judges, when Israel has struggled with sin, it has said something along the lines of Israel did what was wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And from this point forward, It doesn't say that anymore. Now it says they did what was right in their own eyes. It's a shifting point. In other words, everything is now moved from what God has to say about it to what I have to say about it. And in fact, if you read forward, the very last line in the book of Judges, in chapter 21, it says this, in those days there was no king, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Think about this for just a second here. Because we do this exact same thing. We have shifted, as a whole church and society and culture, we have shifted from 
doing what is right or wrong in God's eyes to doing what is right in our own eyes. You just look around. Look around. Churches and and Christians and, and people even outside the church are doing what they think needs to be done. They're doing what they think is right. What they think is right and trying to avoid what they think is wrong. And here's the problem. When I start determining what is right and what is wrong, that logic is as flawed as I am. Okay, because I can only judge it based on my own standard of right or wrong or good or evil. And we've quit looking to what God has for us. Now here's the danger we, we think we're listening to God. We think, like, well, I think this is right in God's eyes. We're not saying, no, God, show me what is right in your eyes. And, and how do we justify this? Look at our worldviews. Okay, look at the people that we argue with, that we think less of. We're looking at them through our own eyes. We're not seeking them through God's eyes. We aren't putting that through there. That ultimately boils down to an attitude of lust. I want it and I want it this way. The second attitude that he tripped and he fell on was that entitlement attitude. I deserve it. I mean, it's really easy to see entitlement in somebody else. And we almost all struggle with it. It's really easy, I hear from a lot of you all, to see entitlement in millennial generation or Gen Z. And man, I've seen myself and generations above me, we all, all struggle with entitlement. Oh, I deserve this. I've earned this. That, that, that's our attitudes towards things. Look at Samson back in verse 5. It says, Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The Spirit of the Lord, there it is, came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. I'm going to pause this for a second because they just kind of casually mention that they tear goats apart with their bare hands. That's crazy for me. He told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. I'm going to pause this for just a second here because that last little bit there, I'll give Samson a little credit here because he's showing a little humility if he's not telling people what he did. So I can promise you this. If I killed a lion with my bare hands, you all would never stop hearing about it. Every sermon I ever preach for the rest of my life, that would be an illustration. Like I'm talking about Jesus walking on water. You know, that reminds me of the time I ripped that lion in half with my bare hands. I'm preaching on marriage you know, husbands, you should submit to your wives. It reminds me of the time I killed that lion with my bear. You would never stop hearing about this, okay? So he doesn't tell anybody what he's done. That's amazing to me. Verse 7, it says, he went down and he talked with the woman and he liked her. Verse 8, sometime later, when he went back to marry her, so this is a few days later, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and he saw in it a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands, and he ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they too ate it. But he did not tell them that he had taken the the honey from the lion's carcass. So what has he done here? He touched something that was dead, violating his vow. Don't touch unclean things. Well, he goes to this lion's carcass, and he reaches in, and he scoops out the honey that has been gathering in there. Here's why I think he did that. I think that lion was his trophy. 
He ripped it apart. He killed it. He gets to do what he wants with it, right? Entitlement. I deserve this. He scoops it out. He betrays his vow to God for a handful of honey. And it's easy to look at that, but I mean, let's, let's be honest. How many of us have betrayed God for something not much more valuable than a handful of honey? What have we betrayed God for? What have we put in front of God? What have we prioritized over God? Maybe for you, it's like, you know what? I mean, I love God, and I, I, I love my church, and <clears throat> I mean, I'll, I'll help where I can, but God, I really want to really buy that new flat screen for my house. I really want to go you know, get this new boat or this new car. And I'm not trying to say you shouldn't have, have nice things. That, that, that's beside the point. But if you're prioritizing that over you're prioritizing the church, prioritizing God, there's a problem there. Maybe it's this attitude of, you know what? I can go enjoy God's nature. That's my church. I can be with God anywhere I go. And this isn't a priority for you anymore. Is that what you're betraying God for? Is that your scoop of honey? Maybe for you it's like, you know, my marriage is fine, my wife's fine. What I can see on my computer screen, man, that, that's pretty, pretty cool. It's just a few minutes. Nobody will know. Is that what you're betraying God for? Yeah, this isn't a judgmental sermon. Please hear me out. Please hear me out. This is not an issue of judging. The question is, what is it that we are telling ourselves? I deserve this. I've earned this. What is it that we do? You know, we reward hard work, and that's fine. But what do we put on a pedestal equal to or above God? What are we doing that for? That's, that's entitlement. That says, I deserve it. And finally, it's pride. That's the, the final thing he, he uh, stumbles with there, which says, I can handle it. Look at verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. That's a pretty innocent verse to read there, right? He, he held a feast. You get married, you have a feast, don't you? And it's easy to read that and miss something here, because the word feast in the Hebrew is the word mishteh. And the word mishteh literally translates a feast or a party, a celebration or occasion for drinking. Samson threw a kegger. <laughs> that is literally what he did. Open margarita bar. He had it set up and ready to go. Now, is that a problem? Well, when you take a Nazarite vow, it is. When you take a vow telling God, I'm not going to drink anything, it is. And that's exactly what Samson did. Samson tells God, you know what? I'm, I can handle this. Just one night. Just one party. No big deal. Samson, in other words, man, I'm strong. I want this. I deserve this, and I can handle this. Sound familiar? Look at this again. I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. Here's the problem with these attitudes. When you have these attitudes, again, you're seeing things through your own eyes, not through God's eyes anymore. And when you're doing that, you've got blinders on, and you can't see the temptations piling up beside you, just waiting to knock you down. And sometimes you can't see the fact that you're just openly sinning in the middle of them. You see it in everybody else, but not yourself. It's so much easier for me to see entitlement in other people than it is myself, and I know I struggle with it. It's so much easier for me to see pride in everybody else. 
and I know I struggle with it. That's what we do, right? We, we miss it in our own selves. And you say things like, you know what? I really want that new car. Maybe it's a little too expensive, but I want it. I, I work hard. I deserve it. I can handle those payments. Forget all the other debt I already have. I can handle it. Or I really want, you know, this conversation with this attractive woman. My wife, you know, it's not going to affect my marriage. I really want this. I deserve this. I can handle it. Can we? Can we? Let's be very honest with ourselves. Can we really handle it? Because here's the, here's, here's the catch, guys. If you want to be strong, you know what the very first step is? You have to admit you're weak. You have to admit that you are weak and acknowledge where you're weak. I mean, if, if I'm going to try to gain physical strength, first off, I have to look myself in the mirror and go, I am not a very strong dude. Okay, how many of us have ever decided to diet or, or start jogging? At some point, you have to go, you know what? This isn't going to work. i got to do something. You don't just decide to go to the gym because you're looking for a new hobby, okay? We go to the gym or we go out and start jogging or we start to get in shape because we realize we need it. If you want to be spiritually strong, you have to admit you're weak. And you have to be able to acknowledge where you are weak, So those three attitudes that we had, we need to flip those around. And here's the first attitude that we need to work on. You need to say this, I'm weak and I need God. It's attitude of transparency. That's the very first thing. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in the Lord. Not, hey, be strong in yourself. Or, hey, be strong in your, your friends. No, it starts with God. That's your foundation. That's your, that's your, your cornerstone. And it doesn't, doesn't end with God. It starts with God, but then it moves on to his people, the church, groups around you. James chapter 5, uh, he says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Groups. Guys, we need accountability. I challenge all of you guys, if you're not in a group of, of, of other godly men where you can be open and honest, you need to find one. It's powerful. And, and I'll be honest, I hate being vulnerable. That, that, you know, I, I, I don't like dropping that curtain. But there is so much that comes out of that that is good. So much strength that can come out of that. Yeah, one of the, the strongest people I know is another pastor. I'm not going to say where he's at or anything, but in a group of, 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 of pastors, we were just being uh, open and honest one day. He goes, guys, I, I struggle with porn. He's an active pastor. He's like, it's, it was a trap in my past, and I, I kicked it, and it just keeps sneaking back up on me. He goes, I need you guys to just randomly text me throughout the day. Just randomly text me anytime. Just say, hey, what's up? He's like, you don't have to, you know, Put me on blast, but just text. Okay, we will. Another guy said, you know what? I I struggle with pride. He's like, I cannot get over myself. He goes, so here's my thing. Would you guys ever so often just kick me down a notch? Because I know you're doing it from love, and eventually if if you guys don't do it out of love, somebody's going to do it out out of spite, and then I'm going to really fall. Open and honest conversations. Those don't develop quickly. Those have to foster 
okay? But guys, find someone you can be accountable with. Here's the second attitude that we need to develop if we want to become strong. It's the attitude that says, I deserve nothing. It's humility. Heard uh, somebody say this once, I love this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's not putting yourself at the front of every thought. And it's, again, it's very easy for us to get this entitled attitude that says, I deserve this, but humility says, no, you want to know what you really deserve? You're not going to like it. Because here's what Paul says, we just read this last, last month, the wages of sin is what? Death, and guess what we are? Sinners. You really want what you deserve? You're probably not going to like it. The gift of God, though, is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Third attitude that we need to develop is one that says, I can fall to any sin. It's the attitude of vulnerability. You know what's been one of the most beneficial things for me? One of the ways that I can find my own weaknesses, and I don't have this completely figured out, so please, please don't think I'm, I'm, I'm saying that. I can look at my, my, my dad and, and the men in my life, I can see where they fell, and I know I am very, very susceptible to falling in the same ways. And so I've got a guard up there for that. I, I, I try my best. I'm like, this one's not going to get me. Another sin might sneak in, but this one that I'm very well aware of, it's not getting me. I've seen it get too many men in my life. That one's not going to happen. But I can fall to any other sin too. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that. He's not going to attack you head on. He's going to try to sneak around. He's going to try to come in behind and find a trap for you. But those are our attitudes we need to develop. Look at this first list again. What's it say? That if, if you want to uh, make a strong man weak, you, you develop these attitudes, right? I want it. I deserve it. I can handle it. But here's what we need to have instead. And I want you to say these with me. What does it uh, make, make a weak man strong? Transparency says what? I'm weak and I need God. Humility says what? I deserve nothing. Vulnerability says what? I can fall to any sin. Men, if you want to become strong, you must first admit that you are weak. And I'll take this a step further. If you want to become strong, your first posture must be a posture of submission and surrender. We don't put a hand down, we turn a hand up. What's the universal symbol for surrender? Hands up. You know why people lift their hands singing songs to God in worship? You're surrendering. It's not, hey, look how spiritual I am. No, it's God. I need you and nothing else. And, and for some of us, maybe, maybe that idea of submission and surrender, like, yeah, I got that figured out. But maybe we just need a reminder and I know for me, sometimes when I need that, that reminder of something I should know my entire life, I actually have to take that step. And, and maybe, you know what, I just need to actually physically get on my knees as a sign of surrender and submission. Not every time I pray, but I mean, just every so often, I go, God, this, I just need this reminder. Maybe for you, that's what it takes. So here's my challenge for you as we move forward as we get into this series, as we look at Samson, is that this week, men, you figure out where am I weak? 
Ask yourself that question. Ask God to reveal that question. If you're really bold, ask somebody to help you answer that question. Because somebody who's close to you might be able to answer that better than you can. But if you do that, be willing to listen to their answer. Because they're saying it from love. So that's your challenge for this week. If you want to be strong, know where you're weak. So find out, where am I weak? Father, we are thankful that you give us a challenge to be strong, God, even though being strong is not as simple as it may seem. It's not as as easy as it might seem because we cannot become strong Lord, until we acknowledge where we struggle. God, I ask this week you would lay on our hearts where we are struggle, or where we are weak, where we struggle. God, not from the attitude so that we can beat ourselves up or feel judged, but God, so we can look ourselves honestly in the mirror to start to grow. God, I pray for the men here today, Lord, that you would put into their hearts the desire to become more like you, strong leaders in their home and in this church, in the communities. God, not leaders who look for power, not leaders who look for the opportunity to dominate, but God, the leaders who look for the opportunity to serve and love and nurture. God, I pray that as we look at the life of Samson, God, we would learn from his mistakes. We would see where he honored you. We would follow that. God, we're thankful. We're thankful for the call to become more like Jesus. I ask that you would be with our guys in this room and our ladies in this room as we move forward. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.